Good morning. That's better, isn't it? Uh, my name is Ben. If I haven't met you before, it's, it's so good to be gathered here this morning. <clears throat> let's start off and let's pray. Father God, this morning we come to you and we recognize that we need your help. We want you to speak into our lives this morning to change us, to grow us, to make us more like Jesus. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that want to change. We pray that you would do a mighty work in us this morning. Amen. Well, one thing I reckon that Aussies value is authenticity. I think to be authentic, to be true to yourself, is such a shared value that so many of us have. You see it in you know, high school graduations, whatever you go on to do with your life, be true to yourself. That's the kind of things that we're hearing. We see it uh, with our, the, our heroes, you know, kind of like the, the Ned Kelly-esque, the Aussie um, underdog doing it for themselves. Uh, we all want to be authentic, don't we? We want it in our relationships. We want it in our careers, our lifestyles. We hate the idea of being inauthentic. The problem, though, is that um, the problem is that we end up that none of us actually know what it is to be true to ourselves. Sorry, my doc's just closed. Give me a sec, guys. <laughs> Don't preach off a tablet, right? Oh, I can't find it. Give me a sec. Talk to the person next to you. Where's an area that you find uh, everyone wants to be authentic in? Let me pull this up. There we go. We're back. Bring it back. All right. We all want to be authentic, right? We're there. You're with me. That's good. Um, the problem is, though, that um, we don't know what it means to be authentic. Um, we keep having our desires keep changing. Um, and what we ought to desire, everyone keeps changing what they say we ought to desire. Every couple of years, you should care about this, and now we should care about that. And we just, it keeps changing, and so all of us end up being a bit like us, like each other. We end up caring about the same things as each other, and so our friends become people that are just like us. They dress the same, we, we vote the same, we value the same things. And we all kind of have this list of things that we should do. We should, you know, go to uni, get a job in the field which you studied in, travel around a bit and fulfill your desires for authenticity and then kind of settle down and get a house and find a partner and make a life. Um, we all want to be authentic, but we end up just doing the same things as each other. I remember on my, on Sophie and I's honeymoon, we went to Vietnam and we were in Ha Long Bay. Has anyone been to Ha Long Bay? Uh, it's like this beautiful series of islands in this bay. It's picturesque. And we went up this hill because they promised us, they're like, this is going to be the best view. You, you, you know, you can take amazing photos. And we went up this hill, climbed up there, take photos. And you couldn't even get a good photo because it was just chock full of tourists that all wanted an authentic photo to take home. We're all just doing the same thing. And the, and the question that this bit of Ephesians brings up for us this morning, is how do we break free and truly be ourselves? How do I break free of the old self and be the new self? Because this, this authenticity that we all seek, 
Um, and this kind of following each other in the world, Paul talked about it in Ephesians 2, it's the way of the world. And it's not just superficial things like holidays and jobs, it's the things that we value, the things that we desire, the things that we live for. How do we break free of the old self to be who we truly are? And this passage this morning, it cuts right to the heart of the gospel. Because in Jesus, we see that you can truly be yourself. You are free to be who you truly are because God has saved you and changed you and made you new. So we've been working through Ephesians and we've seen God's plan to bring unity to all things. And as we've done that, we've seen that actually we're not at the center of the universe, that actually Jesus is at the center. And we, we're gathered together and, and brought into this heritage, this story that's so much bigger than us. A story where we get to proclaim God's wisdom and love and power throughout all the universe. And last week, Josh showed us from the chapter four, the start, that Christians are to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. And calling there is not kind of a call to a job or something else. It's this description of the Christian life. Um, that their calling is what God's done for them, called them out of darkness and into light. He's called them out of death and into life, called them from slavery into freedom. And, and this idea of walking, it's this, this picture of you know, how you live, the direction that your life is going in. And, and he's saying to them, live now who you really are, redeemed, transformed, saved people. And it, we're going to see this morning in verse 17 to 19, Paul talks about the, the old self, the patterns of the old life. And then in 20 to 24, he's going to talk about the new self, how to put on the new self, how you can really make change. And then in 25 to 32, he's going to talk about a bunch of examples of what it looks like now to live the new life. That's where we're going. So first, let's look at the old self that we are to put off. Paul says, don't walk as the old self. If you've got a Bible, keep it open to Ephesians 4. Pick it up with me in verse 17. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. He said, don't walk, don't live like you used to. Why? Because that way of living was futile. It was, it was useless, it was pointless. It was life without God, the primary reason that we exist. He goes on in verse 18. He says, they, to walk that way, and he, he talks about this as the Gentiles, not um, Gentiles just meaning anyone who's not a Jew, anyone who's not one of God's people, which at that point was only Jews. Um, he says, that way of living, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. See, Paul says that way of living, it's ignorant. And I reckon that's just about one of the most insulting things you could say to someone today, isn't it? You're ignorant. We don't want to hear that. We, we want to think that we're open-minded, we're knowledgeable, that you know, we, we, we know stuff, we're not ignorant. That's, that's so insulting. But this ignorance, it's not like not knowing who one's state of origin or forgetting your wife's birthday, which the second one's clearly way worse. It's not that kind of an ignorance. It's a willful ignorance. It's a stance towards God where you don't want to know him and so fail to know him. You don't want to listen to him or love him or follow him or receive his gifts, and so you don't. It's a willful ignorance that Paul's talking about. And, and notice why we're ignorant. 
We're ignorant because of our hardness of heart. See, we think and act the ways that we do because of what's happening in our hearts. See, we're not just rational beings. We're not just kind of brains on a stick that just make calculated decisions at every moment. We've all got biases, fear, anger, hopes, things that drive us towards joy. And, and I think, you know, sometimes we hear the critique about Christians that, oh, you, you guys aren't thinking right. You've, you've kind of put your brain to the side and you're just going for an, an emotional Christianity. Um, you hear that claim from atheists or people who don't trust Jesus. But I want to say, no, no, all of us, whether you are a Christian or an atheist or don't trust God, um, all of us have this mix of thoughts and hearts that kind of drive us together. And, and it's not that you put one aside. for an, The atheist has just as much going on in their heart as they do in their mind. And we have hard hearts, so we're willfully ignorant of God. We don't want anyone to tell us how to live, and so of course we don't want the truth about God. And the result is this, we've been alienated from God. We don't want to listen to him or have him tell us how to live, and so we've been cut off, separated from the one who made us. And and this is what the Bible calls, the essence of this is sin. It's this rejection of God, this hard-hearted ignorance and unwillingness to listen to him. And see where it leads us in verse 19. It says, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. See, our consciences over time have lost sensitivity. Things that um, actually are bad for us and that destroy us, over time we lose sensitivity to that. And, And... So now, because we don't want God to tell us how to live, we just do whatever feels good. And whatever feels good is just whatever our desires are. And so we indulge in things that, um, you know, some of them might be good, but some of them are destroying us, but we don't even realize it. And it's not just that we do them, but that, see there, that we're, we're greedy to do more and more of those things all the time. The picture is almost one of addiction. You can't stop. You've got to keep going back for more and more. Like rats running around in a maze looking for cheese and never finding it. We keep living for all these things, thinking that they will fulfill us, but not realizing that they're actually destroying us and cutting us off from God. See, Paul summarizes the old self in verse 22. He says, The old self is corrupt through deceitful desires. We want to run our own lives but it's never going to work for us because our desires are corrupt. See, we're actually enslaved to our desires. Whatever we feel like we need to do, we go and do it. And the problem with being a slave to your own desires is that you don't realize that you're enslaved to it. And the the problem of not realizing that you're enslaved is that um, you'll never get rescued unless you see how in need of rescuing you are. Because that's what we need here. That's what we see, isn't it? We need rescue. We need renewal. We'll never make any lasting change in our own lives or in the world around us until we understand that we have this need for rescue. That's the life of the old self. Futile, alienated, separated from God, in need of rescue. But see what Paul says next. He says, point two, we're to put on the new self. See in verse 20. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. 
assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. See, Jesus is the truth that we need. He's the one who's come to rescue us. And to learn Christ, it's not just here, it's not just to know things about Jesus. It's to apprentice yourself to him. It's to, to be welcomed by him, to have him shape you by his teaching, to submit to his rule, to listen to his summons. It, Jesus is the only one who can change our minds, our attitudes, and our values. Because we need truth. We need the truth that is Jesus because we're, we've been captured by lies. The deceitfulness of sin, it lies to us. The, the deceitfulness that's in our hearts, our desires. And so only the truth can set us free. And that's what we see, isn't it? Verse 22, we've, we've been called to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. See, we look back on our old life, on our sin, if, if you're in Jesus, if you're a Christian, and sometimes we think, oh, that was, there were some fun things there. And sometimes it was fun. But it was also destructive and addictive and more dangerous than we could have ever realized because it cut us off from God. But Jesus has rescued us from that. And so that now, verse 24, we're free to change and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. How? How do we do this change from old self to new self. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus. How do you change? Is change really possible? Yes. Verse 23. What we need is to be renewed. To be renewed in the spirits of your minds. See, the spirit there, it's not talking about like the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the spirit or the attitude, the values, the desires, the, the things that you live for in your mind. See, the truth sets us free, the truth in Jesus, but it's a truth that you can only come to understand with your minds, the truth of the gospel, that in Jesus you can now be free, be rescued. And this, these verses are really interesting. The, the tenses in verse 22 to 24, we don't see it just as clearly in the English, but in the Greek, in verse 22 and 24, when it says to put off, um, it's this kind of um, this completed action, this... At, at one moment, you were the old self, but you've put it off. It's complete, and now you've put on the new self, been made new in Jesus. You've, it's this completed, finished action. But verse 23, this idea of to be renewed, that's this kind of ongoing process of renewal, this, this renewal that happens constantly and ongoingly. At verse 22 and verse 24, to put off, it's this, it's this thing that you do, or that you and God kind of do together. He's, he's made you new, so put off the old self, put on the new. But verse 23, it's not something that you do to be renewed. You can't renew your own mind. It's, you get to be part of it, but it's something that God does in you. It's what God does. So how does God do that? How does he renew your mind? That's what we want, isn't it? We want this renewed mind so that we can change from the old self to the new. Well, God does it by speaking to you. Every time you come to church and hear God's word, your mind is being renewed. Every time you open up your Bible and read it, the God of the universe is speaking to you, 
changing you, renewing you. Every time you do it in growth groups with friends, listening to a devotional podcast on the, you know, on the drive to work or on the train, God is renewing you. He's teaching you to see the world rightly. He's shaping what you value to be like what he values. He's changing your attitudes to be more like Jesus. So that now... You can be the new self. You can be who you were truly made to be, like God in righteousness and holiness. See, the old self was callous and hard, but the new self has been made sensitive to God. The old self couldn't listen to God, but the new self wants to listen to God and live his way. Don't don't hear me say that all Christians are perfect. See, Christians will still struggle with sin and temptation and the old self. Even though we've been made new, we hear from God and have him shape us and change us. You're a new person now if you're in Jesus. The old self was trapped in sin and futility. Even if you wanted to change, you couldn't have because your own desires were corrupt. But the new self is now free to live for God and for others and to stop living in ways that alienate them from God and cut them off from the one who made them. If you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus, can I say to you, there is real hope in Jesus. He will change your life. You can come to him and be transformed in your mind and your heart and find something that you could never get before in Jesus. It's a joy that so many of us here in this room this morning are sharing, and we'd love to help you do that if that's something that you want to do. If you do know Jesus, though, if you are this new self, do you see that you need to join with God in what he's doing? You're still responsible to keep putting on the new self. You can only do that new self living because Jesus has renewed your mind and changed your hearts and your desires. To be like God is what we were made for. But you can only do it because God's changed you. See, God made us in his image, He made us with this ability to have relationship with him. And he made us in in our purpose. We're to be like God. We're to be, in a sense, like God's image, his representatives on earth, bringing holiness and righteousness, being people that are truthful and loving, showing God to, to each other. And we can do that now if we're the new selves. Paul calls us to put off the old self, and to put on the new self, because we've been renewed in our minds. And he goes on to then flesh this out in the rest of the chapter, which is the third point. He calls us to walk in the image of God, to live this new self life that God has made for us. See, these concrete examples, they're primarily examples that Uh, are to do with how Christians relate to each other, Christian relationships in church. But I reckon the principles are pretty good to apply anywhere, right? (laughs) I think you could apply these as a Christian in the way you work or go to uni or, you know, your sporting teams or whatever you do. Um, But can I just stress again, these are not rules that you need to keep in order to be a Christian. No one can keep them unless they've had their mind renewed. This is the new life God's people are now to live. This is the life of, some, of people who know that God saved them through Jesus, who've had their minds renewed, who know that he's put their, his spirit in his heart and changed their desires. See, the new self, it's, this, it's an internal change, but 
it's reflected in these kind of external actions. It's kind of like the clothes that you wear. So, you know, a nurse would wear different clothes to a judge in the courtroom, would wear different clothes to a soldier going into combat. And it's, the uniform doesn't make you that. You know, I can put on a nurse's uniform and go into a hospital, and I would be the most useless nurse in that hospital. I wouldn't know anything. Um, so the clothes don't make you that profession, but you wouldn't want to go into battle wearing judges' robes and a, a fake wig, right? Paul's saying, you know, live, let your externals be in line with who you actually are, this new self-life. It's not this list of rules. It's, no, Christianity is not about rules. It's about rescue. We were alienated from God and needed help, and Jesus died and rose again so that we could have our minds renewed if we put our trust in him. At the heart of the Christian message is an inability to live God's way. See, if you are a Christian, you can't read this and think that you're better than people who don't yet know Jesus. You can't look down your nose at them. You can't be like the religious Pharisees in the Bible and think that you've got it all together. Because no, you were that. It's only God in you that's changed you so that you could be this new self. That, and God's plan throughout history has been to send Jesus as a ransom for us and to create this new people who can now love God and love each other. And that's the shadow that we saw in Zechariah 8 that got read out for us, that God's always been planning to bring a people to himself, this remnant. And and we see in Ephesians that it's not just Jews in the New Jerusalem, it's Jews and Gentiles, Christians brought together to live lives of holiness and righteousness. Let's have a look at them. Verse 25, stop lying and tell the truth. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There are a million reasons to lie, isn't there? We lie to protect ourselves. Oh, no, I didn't get that email. Can you resend it to me? That's a problem on your end. Uh, We lie to make ourselves look good. We lie about why it's been so long since we've called our parents. We lie about why we don't, when we don't trust someone else not to judge us for an action that we've taken. The old self has all these reasons to lie. But now the new self has something much more important than self-protection or self-promotion or self-preservation. We have the truth. We're members of each other. We belong to this new community of, that God is bringing together. So we don't lie to each other there. The old self is focused on the self. And so, of course, you do whatever you needed to do so that, to make yourself look good. But the new self cares about others. And so lying is not an option. Like that community in Zechariah 8, where to speak the truth to one another, where to judge truthfully in a way that leads to peace. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. It's a weird verse, isn't it, this one? What does it mean? What does Paul mean? Be, be angry, do not sin. It's, it's a quote from a psalm, one of the, the songs of the Bible, Psalm 4. And I think the context there helps us understand what he means here. The psalmist in Psalm 4 is angry because they've been accused unjustly. By their enemies, some people have been lying about them, um, doing the very thing that we ought not to do as Christians now. Um, But he prays to God as he lies down at night, and he prays to God remembering that God's in control, that God's the one who cares for him, and God's his comfort. 
And, and, and his, his feelings are taken away of anger and he's filled with joy and peace. But I take it from that psalm, there's, there's a right emotional response that you feel towards an anger, that we feel towards injustice, towards lies and betrayal. There's this hurt, this emotional thing that we feel. And I think that's pretty normal in a broken world that we feel that. We see in Mark 3, Jesus, the, the, he's in the synagogue and the Pharisees are like set up around the, the temple, the synagogue, and there's this man with a withered hand and it's on the Sabbath and they're just like, like tigers waiting to pounce on this man with a withered hand as the bait because they want to see if Jesus is going to heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus calls them all in and it says that he looked at them with anger and grieved because of their hard hearts and their sin. And then he heals the man right in front of them all on the Sabbath. Um, so, and we know that Jesus wasn't angry. Sorry, not, not that, Jesus, that Jesus didn't sin in his anger because he was perfect. Um, and so I think what we start to see is this picture that um, anger at sin or the results of sin and brokenness, there's something good there. But we need to keep checking our hearts because all of us need to see well, why, what's making us angry in this moment. And I think that's the kind of anger that it's accompanied by grief, by care for those who are sinning, by, by this desire to see change in the world. I think there's something okay there. But I've got to be honest, I struggle with this one. Because those aren't the kind of things that I find myself getting angry at, injustice and sin in the world or in my own life. I get angry when someone cuts me off when my kids don't listen to me, when I feel overworked and underappreciated, when, when a piece of technology isn't working, when my Chromecast won't play the TV show. I, it sounds so silly, but I get so oh, worked up inside. I don't know if anyone else does. See, that kind of anger, that's not the kind of anger that he's talking about here. Underneath that anger sits this desire that God, you should have done better in my life. You ought to have looked after me. I deserve more than this. And that's totally ungodly. We need to be putting that anger aside. That's not what Paul's talking about. But how then does anger become sin? I think we see it's when we, when we sit on it, when we chew on it, when we let it simmer without dealing with that anger. Like We get this initial emotional response to a situation that might be sinful, it might not, it's hard to know. We need to keep assessing. But it becomes sin when we don't deal with it. And Paul says, if you've got a conflict with someone, deal with it. That day, if possible, don't let it brew. Don't nurse that anger and, and keep growing it. Don't go and tell two or three people about how you feel slighted or hurt and you've been made angry. Because all that does, it entrenches that anger. It it solidifies it. It makes it more real. Don't give Satan the opportunity to use your anger to create division in the church. Don't give him the opportunity to create long-term hurt and, and disagreements that go on and on, that distract you from God or keep you from gathering with his people. God wants us to be a united community here at Wild Street. See, the old self would have held on to anger because it, it feels good to vent, to share it, to, to hold on to it, to know that someone's done something wrong and, you know, I'm in the right and blows it out of proportion. But the new self sees unity in the church as the goal and deals with anger and hurt front on. 
even though it can be awkward and hard, it has the goal for reconciliation, even though that might not necessarily happen, but that's the goal of the new self-life with anger. Don't let your anger keep going on. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Don't steal. Do honest work so that you can be generous. See, the old self works for so many reasons, for financial security, for job satisfaction, for funding your travels and your lifestyle so your kids can get into a good private school. None of those things in themselves are necessarily bad, but that's old self reasons to work. The new self works for a whole new reason. The opportunity to share with those in need, to be generous. The new self has a completely different outlook on money. Jesus says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so the new self doesn't have to just hoard their money for themselves because their lives are all about them. That's old self. No, no, new self so that we can be generous. See, if you were to print your bank statement for the last month and just go through it line by line, just, just you on your own, what would it show that you valued? What are the things that your bank statement goes towards? If it's new self, we ought to be looking for the ways that we're being generous. See, your work is an opportunity to give, to support our, our, our mission partners here through CMS on the wall up there. If you don't support one and you're in the position to, you've, you've been made new so that you can. To look for those around you who are in need and, and ways that you can meet those needs. To give to the cause of the gospel here at Wild Street by regularly giving in a way that's generous. To, to send aid to those living overseas through something like compassion. To fund future church plants, just like Wild Street was 20 years ago. To go out throughout Sydney and across Australia and the world so that more people can hear the good news about Jesus. See, your money is an opportunity to partner with God in what he's doing in the world. And so work so that you can give. It would seem crazy to an old self person. What kind of a financial strategy is this, to be generous and give away your money? It makes no sense. But that's what you can do now if you've been made free to be the new self. You're free now to be generous because of what Jesus has done for you. Verse 29, the new self even speaks differently. See it there with me. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. See, rather than corrupting things, things that tear down like gossip or slander or complaining or divisiveness, rather than that, that's, that's old self. The new self says things that build others up, that encourages them, that gives grace to them, that expresses this shared unity that we all have. Are you looking for opportunities to build others up in your conversations? After church, do you just think about what was the weekend like? Or are you trying to build each other up in Jesus? One place that I reckon this is really hard to do today is online. I don't know how many of you guys are in these online spaces of Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, but it can be so easy to just speak so meanly to others. 
One commentator calls this the age of outrage. It's so easy to get outraged and just smash someone online and you don't know them or if you do, you don't see them and so you don't feel the hurt. As Christians, we need to not be like our culture, not tear each other down, not look for ways to push them down so that we can push ourselves up. Tall poppy syndrome is totally ungodly. We're not to be like that as a community. We're to celebrate each other, build each other up. Why? Verse 30, because that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. See, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit's among us, growing us together in unity and maturity to be like Jesus. He's growing us as God's people, and so don't grieve him. Don't speak divisively. Don't gossip. When you do that, you're working directly against what the Holy Spirit is doing in this church. See, the Spirit's at work in you, renewing your mind, renewing your heart, changing you to be holy and righteous in the image of God. And so to grieve the Spirit is to go against what the Spirit's doing in you. And we don't do these things, truth-telling, dealing with anger, giving generously. We don't, we don't do them because we have to. We do them because the Spirit's freed us up so that we can do these things. We've been made new. Our minds have been renewed. And so we get rid of all those things in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. I don't even know what clamor is, but it doesn't sound good, does it? We need to put it away. I'm, I'm sure over the course of this sermon, you've heard some of these things that have hit harder for you than others. Maybe you've seen yourself fall back into um, old self-patterns old ways of living and the way you think about money or time or the way you speak. See, none of us is sinless. We'll keep sinning until our bodies are renewed and this sinful world is renewed. We, we have that hope that's coming, but until then we need to constantly be having our minds renewed. But none of us is sinless. But the new self-person wants to live for this new cause, to be part of what God's doing, rescuing us and uniting us together as his people. That's why ultimately Jesus is our model and our reminder for new self-living, because he is sinless. He was perfect. See what he did, verse 32? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Remember the old self, futile, alienated, God in Christ forgave you, he rescued you, he brought you to himself, and he changed you. Forgiveness isn't just this natural resource that you can draw on. New selves forgive because they know how much they've been forgiven. New selves know that others will sin and they'll still keep sinning, and, and they recognize that, and so they deal with each other tenderheartedly, with compassion, with care, for each other, knowing that God's doing this ongoing work in each of us. See, in Jesus, we've been made new and given this new cause. We used to be futile, ignorant, and alienated from God. But now we're able to work with God, to know God, and to live for God. This passage at its core, it's not about moralism. It's not designed to make you feel guilty if you're feeling Guilty. It's not really what I'm aiming for this morning. I'm trying to show you that you've been made new, been made alive in Jesus. 
See, we're able to join God in his mission to bring all things in unity under Jesus, to display Jesus' wisdom and glory and power that he might rescue sinners like us and change us. I hope you see this morning what the Spirit is doing in you, renewing you into the image of God so that you can live as his people in righteousness and holiness, in truthfulness, with joy, with a, a real hope and love for each other. See, that's real. That's the, that's the you that you can be. It's good. It's who God made you to be, your true self. How about I pray that we'd keep doing that? Father God, the old self is full of lies. Help us to see the damage of those lies, that there is no fulfillment and joy and life apart from in you. Keep changing us. You've renewed our hearts and our minds. Keep renewing our minds to see that we are new self people. For each of us this morning, there'll be some of these things that um, we need to leave here this morning and, and go and think about a bit more. We pray that you would help us to do it, not based on guilt, but based on freedom. We're free now to live as your people, this united community. Uh, keep growing us and changing us to do that, that we might encourage one another to live as new selves. Amen.